When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I like to think of this time of year after the games have ended, after the dust has kind of settled on that first signing day as our time of year. And when I say our time of year, I mean us as college football junkies. This is where we thrive, man. This is where you turn on the YouTube reruns of your favorite full game from this past season or seasons before. This is where you're scouring the message boards, whether it's Bama Online, whether it's Dogs HQ, any one of the on three fan sites that'll keep you in the know to the nth degree. This this is where we separate. Separation season right here on the Hard Count. The People's College Football Show, man. We are glad to have y'all in here. It is Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. The last one on the face of this planet. So we're going to make it the best one in history. We're glad to have you a part of this. We got a ton to dive into. For those of y'all that have been keeping tabs on the Twitter sphere, Alabama and Kalen DeBoer, man. The DeBoer era is on and popping. And uh, he's slowly but surely starting to put that staff together. Kane Womack, it sounds like, is going to be his DC. Ryan grew up following him from Washington. A couple of off-field uh, staff moves that have been retained. So we'll talk about that, give you our thoughts there, and just kind of where things stand for Kalen DeBoer as we move into, like I just said, the DeBoer era in Tuscaloosa. Going to take a while for me to get used to saying that, man, the DeBoer era. But it's here. It is absolutely here. Also, Michigan, speaking of eras and, and things changing, Jim Harbaugh interviewing with the Los Angeles Chargers. J.J. McCarthy headed to the NFL. I just mentioned this. We're a college football show, so we're not going to dive too deeply into the NFL side of things. I want to take a look at where Michigan's at, and I want to kind of predict the future for what Michigan maybe should do as it pertains to Jim Harbaugh and his future and what they should do with the quarterback position as well. If you're subscribed to this channel already, then you already have a good feel as to how we feel about what they should do with the quarterback position, that head coach position. But regardless, uh, we'll give you our thoughts and kind of take a pulse of things over there. The transfer portal continues to churn along. Cam Ward, over the weekend, I'm at dinner with my wife. I go to use the bathroom. I check my phone and get an alert from the On3 Twitter page that Cam Ward has committed to Miami. So naturally, we start planning for the show. We're going to talk about Miami and Cam Ward, but that's one of the most impactful moves of this portal cycle. And it's not over just yet. The portal keeps on churning as we get these different coaching hires and things like that. So we'll kind of unpack some of the, some of the most impactful transfer portal moves. Not the biggest, not the splashiest, the most impactful transfer portal moves. Uh, your team just might be listed there. Also went to the Twitter, uh, went to the Twitter sphere, as I mentioned. Some really good questions from y'all over there. So if you're not following me yet, at Jody Pakel on Twitter and on Instagram is a great place for us to interact during the entirety of the college football calendar year, which is, of course, 12 months out of the year. I sent out the tweet, put out the, bad, the, 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 the bat signal, rather, and said, hey, what are y'all thinking? Hit me with your college football questions, and we'll get to them in tomorrow's show. And so we're going to do just that. Some questions about Texas becoming a powerhouse consistently, not just this one season as they move into the SEC. Are they going to be a powerhouse? Is Steve Sarkeesian building that? We'll talk about that. Uh, tampering seems to be a topic of discussion year-round with the transfer portal. We'll give you our thoughts there. And then also a couple of thoughts as it pertains to Jed Fish heading to Washington. Do we like that move? What does it mean? As you can tell, man, uh, we got a lot to unpack here. We got a ton to jump into. We're so glad to have you here. Make sure you're subscribed as we dive into the junky part of the year. 
during the college football season as as a player this is one of the most tumultuous times of the year because you're getting through with the season but then you're diving into what next year what next season already holds for you because you got winter conditioning so it's a grind us as college football fans right now this is our grind again separation season on and popping right here on the hard count on the other youtube channel glad to have you a part of it let's get right to it man the DeBoer era in Tuscaloosa is starting to roll. I don't know that that'll really settle in for us until we get to SEC Media Days in Dallas, of all places. Yes, Dallas, Texas is where SEC Media Days are going to be. And Kalen DeBoer takes the stand as Alabama's head coach and gets questions from the podium. Maybe that's the first time it'll sit for us or, or start, start to hit for us, rather, as, as it pertains to uh, him being the head coach of Alabama. But uh, we all know this, man. Like, a head coach is only as good as his staff. That staff in Tuscaloosa is slowly but surely starting to come together. Traveris Robinson, they made a play for him to try and be the DC after he left for Georgia. They tried to bring him back. Sounds like, actually doesn't sound like th uh, that's not gonna be the case for him coming back, but it does look as though he has his next DC, does Kalen DeBoer, and that's gonna be Kane Womack from South Alabama. And now he wasn't the DC at South Alabama, he was the head coach at South Alabama. Someone that uh, Kalen DeBoer is familiar with. To me, uh, this feels a lot like it's just what the doctor ordered in terms of what it takes for him building his staff. Because you think about Kalen DeBoer and just his footprint from a geographical standpoint. Not a whole lot of Southeastern ties. We understand now at Alabama, you got to recruit the big boys. You got to recruit that talent to stay where Alabama's been the entirety of the last 17 years in the Nick Saban regime. So, Kane Womack, a guy who is familiar with uh, SEC territory. He worked at Ole Miss for a period of time. He's, he's got ties in the southeastern region for uh, the people that matter. Uh, it was reported on Bama Online that that was a big factor in bringing him to Tuscaloosa was his ties in SEC country. Uh, Charles Power, who's director of scouting and rankings for us here at On3, is a heck of, a, of an evaluator. And he says that Kane Womack is also a great evaluator. So he's got the seal of approval there. The reason why that's important just means you're not going to miss a whole lot. Like when, when you bring in that four-star kid, he's going to be about what you thought he would be. You're not going to have someone who comes in and ends up being a bust more often than not when Kane Womack is doing the evaluations there. Um, also someone that Kalen DeBoer is familiar with. I think that's important. I think it's important as you take on a job of this magnitude to have someone that you can trust, someone that you work well with. To me, this is Kalen DeBoer hiring his DC and understanding the assignment. Yes, I want to coach good football, and I think Kane Womack will do that. He runs a 4-2-5 defense. To put it simply, he's going to have fast people on the field to match up with the LSUs of the world, the Ole Misses of the world, the spread offenses of the world. So they'll have that box checked. The personnel, I believe, will stay pretty stable from what they had in-house over the next year or two so I don't know you'll really see the returns on investment as a recruiter for the next couple of seasons but the bottom line here is Kalen DeBoer understood I need to go hire someone with ties to the southeast and so he goes and lands a guy like Kane Womack to run the defense for him so that's a big get and again I think it's uh, just what the doctor ordered when it comes to that DC hire now Ryan Grubb was his offensive coordinator at Washington he is going to be his offensive coordinator at Alabama so I'll just say this, uh, when it comes to Ryan Grubb, there should be absolutely zero reservations. And the reason why I say that is Nick Saban, if we remember when it came to his offensive coordinator search a season ago, it looked for a period of time that Ryan Grubb was going to be the guy at Alabama to run the offense. Flies him in, you know, we're, we're all talking about Ryan Grubb and how he fits at Alabama, and then the dust settles, he flies back, and there's no hire. So Nick Saban wanted him. 
Funny how life works a year later. Ryan Grubb is, in fact, sporting that script, eh? Um, but if he's good enough for Nick Saban, I think he's good enough for Kalen DeBoer going forward here at Alabama. Now, there's some thought here. You look at what Washington did a season ago. 57% of the time, they're throwing the football downfield. You look at what Alabama has in-house. You say Jalen Milrow, he is a capable passer. He's not a consistent passer just yet. We'll talk more about that in a second. But if I'm an Alabama fan, the concern might be outside of fit for our personnel. Hey, are, are they going to be too finesse? Like, that's cool. You'll want to do that in the Pac-12. You want to throw the ball around. That's fine. You had some freak show wide receivers. Get it. Is that going to be too finesse, though, for the SEC? Because listen, man, like, I know it's your first time here, but we play big boy football. You, you got to win the line of scrimmage here. Ryan Grubb, are we going to run the football enough to be able to play the tempo we need to play at to win here in the SEC? My answer to that would be twofold. One, Kalen DeBoer in his press conference when he was introduced as the head coach at Alabama said, we're going to build our scheme to our personnel. So I don't think you're going to see this round peg in a square hole kind of situation, whatever the phrase is, offensively for Alabama. I don't think they'll try and force Jalen Milrow to do what Michael Penix Jr. did. Or have, you know, whatever, you know, skill player you have on the outside try to be Roma Dunze. Because, I mean, those dudes are one of one. So they're going to tailor the scheme to their personnel. That's first. The other part of this is I still believe that playing physical in the trenches is going to be a point of emphasis for them. You don't believe me? Look at what they did last season, that Washington outfit. They won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in the country. The other part of that, I say this a lot with coaches, like you just you can't change where you're from not from a geographical background, but from a football background. Ryan Grubb, nine, eight years out of his career coaching football at the collegiate ranks, he's been an offensive line coach. Like, he wants to run the ball. They didn't have to do that a ton last year because they had an NFL wide receiver room and an NFL quarterback. So they say, okay, we're going to play to our personnel. Let's push the, do- the, push the doggone ball deep, boys. So with that being said, I don't know that I would – feel like it's going to look exactly how it did at Washington last year at Alabama this coming season. Now, here's something that I'm curious to watch as it pertains to uh, the offensive coordinator position for Alabama. The difference a coordinator makes for a quarterback, I think it it can't be overstated, the potential impact it can have. And uh, this offensive staff between Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, the thing that encourages me for Jalen Milrow's maturation is they speak quarterback Kalen DeBoer, background in coaching quarterbacks. Ryan Grubb, background in coaching quarterbacks. You saw what Michael Penix Jr. was during his time at Washington and what he did at Indiana progressing under this staff. I think the way that they coached the quarterback position and their resume in itself, what if Jalen Milrow is able to take a massive step next year with this staff? What if he is the equivalent of what we saw with Jaden Daniels and Mike Denbrock and Joe Sloan at LSU? And I'm not saying that Jalen Milrow goes out and wins the Heisman Trophy next year, although he'll be in a lot of those discussions. But what if, like, what if it's just a thing where he becomes more consistent downfield? What if it's a thing where he becomes more potent as a passer in the intermediate game? How much does that change Alabama's outfit offensively? I think it'd be drastic. I think it'd be massive. And I think it's very much so on the table, again, given the fact that this offensive staff with Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer, they speak quarterback. I don't think that should be overlooked. Now, speaking of not being overlooked, an off-field hire that was retained with Kalen DeBoer coming to Alabama is Director of Sports Performance, David Ballou. Now, that is a fancier title for saying, my man runs the weight room. My man gets these dudes right all year long. And as a college football player, there is no coach that you spend more time with 
than your head of strength and conditioning, which is what, again, David Ballou is. He was the strength and conditioning coach since 2020 for Alabama. He is staying at Alabama under Kalen DeBoer. And the reason why I don't think this should be overlooked, the reason why this is important is twofold. One, he's good at his job. Like Alabama won the SEC last year for a reason because of their personnel. David Ballou helped maximize that personnel. Okay, so he's good at his job. Other part of this is in a transition that is so difficult for a player, having the consistency and the familiarity of the coach that you're most familiar with staying on staff, I think that's big. Because again, think about this if you're a player right now. Everything is new. There is so much uncertainty. We're, we're going to talk about guys, you know, considering the portal. We've seen guys jump into the portal already. The reason they committed to Alabama was because of Nick Saban. Uh, it's likely that your position coach is changing right now. Like, there's so many revolving doors from what you knew previously last week to this week. Having a guy that you're familiar with, and again, the guy that you're spending the most time out of your entire year with, again, David Ballou, having that be a stable force, I think that's going to help kind of guide this whole uh, offseason for Alabama. There'll be some new things. I'm sure that they will tinker with every part of this operation as a head coach does. But with that being said, having some familiarity there with someone you spend the most time with, I think that's really important. I think that's going to, again, help the transition for Alabama in the Kalen DeBoer era. So let me know what you think of those hires. Let me know what you think about Kane Womack, which again, I believe that is, if it's not final already, it might be final by the time you see this on a one-off video. So appreciate hearing y'all's impact, uh, or your thoughts on the impact there, rather, for those hires for Alabama. All right, good crowd today. Appreciate y'all tuned in. Make sure you like the video as we keep on rolling again. This is our time of year. It's junkie season. Maybe we'll start calling it that. Maybe this is junkie season. Roll, party, roll. All right, let's get to... What's going on from the SEC country all the way over to Ann Arbor, Michigan in Big Ten country? What does the future hold for the Michigan Wolverines? Because it's obvious now, like pivoting. I think the good people in Ann Arbor do blame anybody. I think they feel a ton of gratitude towards Jim Harbaugh. But in this situation, like if you're the Chargers, if you're just an NFL front office, you're supposed to hire the very best coach you can find. And Jim Harbaugh is 44-19-1 as an NFL head coach. He was, as one of y'all put so eloquently in the comment section, a power outage away from winning a Super Bowl over his brother. Like, you have to believe that the competitor that Jim Harbaugh is as well, he probably wants to conquer that mountain. He probably wants to get to the top of the greatest pinnacle in the game of football, which is winning a Super Bowl. And being so close to having done it, he probably wants to get that accomplished. I don't think that's unfair to assume that. So the NFL, you got to hire good coaches, Jim Harbaugh, given his credentials and given his resume, probably fits that bill. And again, for Jim Harbaugh, being so close, and then also having conquered the mountain at Michigan already. And that's not to say that he you know, has his work done at Michigan and there's no reason for him to come back, because I, I actually have some thoughts on that here in a second as well. But like, if, if you're Jim Harbaugh, you conquered it. You conquered it. You can conquer it again, but you feel like, hey, what I came here to do, which is to bring Michigan football back to the pinnacle of college football, back to the mountaintop, I've done it. And so if I leave, I leave knowing that I did all that I could and I accomplished the ultimate goal, the ultimate mission. So again, if you're a Michigan fan, I think you can list a ton of pros as to why Jim Harbaugh should come back. Like, I think it's fair to argue the list of pros for Jim Harbaugh coming back to Michigan is arguably longer than the NFL. Now, again, that's probably depending on who you ask, but... The job security at Michigan, second to none. The fact that he's going to get a new contract, you have to believe he is going to get paid. 
Nothing that Jim Harbaugh is going to be wanting for when it comes to getting a new contract from Michigan. Um, in terms of the roster they have coming back next year, yes, you lose J.J. McCarthy to the NFL, and we'll discuss that, but like, I think the roster they have in place is built to compete for a Big Ten championship yet again, compete for a national championship yet again. Now, I understand there's this thought around you know the NCAA and how tough they might make it on Jim Harbaugh and all that. I don't think that's unfair, but I think the real thing that's tough to gauge for Michigan is you're dealing with the unquantifiable and what I mean by that is, if you're listing out the pros and cons, again, there might be more pros on the Michigan list for staying. But you talk about the pros for the NFL, and that one pro with the opportunity to win a Super Bowl, you don't know how much value he's putting on that. And that might be the end-all, be-all. So, if Jim Harbaugh does eventually decide, hey, I want to be the get go, I want to go and be uh, the, the head coach for the Chargers or whoever you want to insert there as to who he could be the next head coach for, I think that search, and I use search in air quotes there for those of y'all, for those of y'all listening on podcast, uh, that is a 30-second search. And I use the, that timeline of 30 seconds because I'm assuming that's how long it takes for you to walk down to Sharon Moore's office and tell him, hey, good news, you're our next head coach. Appreciate you so much. Now, there's probably a contract discussion to be had there, but the reason why Sharon Moore is your guy and you don't even look outside of those four walls is because Michigan, the way that they've done things, they have taken the long route to winning a national championship. And what I mean by that is they haven't done it with top three classes. They haven't done it with portaling in a bunch of five stars. Like, yes, they've used the portal. Yes, they've recruited well, but they have built this thing methodically and systematically, and it's been unique to Michigan. They have a systematic way of doing things that is specific to what they do in-house in Ann Arbor. And what I want to make sure we say is, Whenever you have something that's unique to your building and you have a certain way of doing things, that's been working. The worst thing you could do is bring in someone from the outside and interrupt that. As you bring in someone new to try and, you know, lead the thing forward, like you're, you're messing with uh, a Jenga tower that I don't know that you really want to mess with because, again, you just won a national championship. So Sharon Moore, one, understands that would keep that at cruising altitude, has been a part of this long enough to know how it works and to keep it working how it works. But also, like, let's not overlook this. He got some good reps as a head coach this year. Right? I mean, they beat Ohio State with him as the head coach. Now, I understand. Being a head coach on game day is different than being a head coach every other day of the year. But even with that being said, I think he is at a place where whether Michigan makes him the next head coach or not, it is a matter of time before Sharon Moore gets the whistle as the head man somewhere in the country. It might as well be somewhere that it works, somewhere that he's loved, and somewhere that's already rolling right now. So I don't think it's a long search. I think Sharon Moore is your guy should Jim Harbaugh leave for the NFL. So that's the potential pivot. We'll see what happens. Of course, we're going to talk about it as we move forward here, uh, moving into you know the Jim Harbaugh interview phase of our year. Now, an unavoidable pivot here, and this has already gone final, J.J. Uh, McCarthy is leaving for the NFL. More power to him. There were some thoughts that maybe coming back to school could be good for him. I was one of those individuals. But I think with him leaving for the NFL, I want to make sure that we get this out there. I don't think this was like a, a flippant decision for J.J. McCarthy. I don't think this was him saying, you know, I just, I think this is right for me today. I don't think he checked the vibes and the vibes said NFL or he shook the magic eight ball and it said today's the day to go to the NFL. Like, I think this was a thing where he thought it through. And I truly believe that he either got feedback or talked to people that he trusts that believe he will be an early round NFL draft pick. Now, what does early mean? 
to be determined, but I think that he has some confidence he'll go early. Also, I would say, if you don't believe in J.J. McCarthy as an NFL prospect, I would ask you to look at what Jim Harbaugh has said about him and who Jim Harbaugh has coached. Jim Harbaugh, one, been around some pretty good NFL quarterbacks as an NFL head coach. Two, has been around future NFL quarterbacks at their collegiate ranks, Josh Johnson at San Diego, and probably most notably, Andrew Luck at Stanford. Jim Harbaugh putting J.J. McCarthy in the category of an Andrew Luck, I think probably holds some weight because Jim Harbaugh knows what he's talking about. So that's kind of where the thing stands with J.J. McCarthy and his NFL aspirations. But again, we're a college football show. So what does this mean for Michigan? I think the ultimate thought has to be, do you trust who's already in-house? And that would probably be Alex Orgy. Or do you think you got to go get someone from the portal? Now, there's no way for me to gauge exactly how they feel about Alex Orgy. But for me, I would love to see Michigan go to the portal and get a proven commodity. And the reason why I say that is just what we said about Jim Harbaugh and a reason why he maybe would come back or maybe a reason to come back. That roster, man, they got some dudes ready to win now. Donovan Edwards announcing yesterday he's coming back. Kenneth Grant, he'll be back. Colston Loveland, he'll be back. Like there's a lot of pieces now if you're Michigan to make another run at this thing. And a big part of that, you have to believe, is going to be having a sure thing at quarterback. Now, the guy that I would target, and there's a lot of variables here, a lot of things that got to fall into place. Uh, but if all things are equal here, the guy that I go after, Kalia Tagovailoa, previously at Maryland. Now, again, there's some caveats. The first is he's got to get a waiver to play another year from the NCAA. So if that doesn't get cleared, obviously this whole thing is a moot point. Also, there has to be the desire for him to stay in college because there was this thought that as soon as he jumped in the portal and, and there was that waiver conversation, it was, well, Miami needs a quarterback. His brother plays NFL football in Miami, obviously Tua Tagovailoa, y'all probably heard of him. Miami makes the most sense. So if it's not Miami or bust and he wants to come back to the he wants to come back to college, not just go to the NFL, and he gets that waiver, I think it's a no-brainer for Michigan. And the reason why I say that is talking about a proven commodity, I don't know there's a more proven commodity than a guy who'd be going into his sixth year playing college football and a guy who is the all-time leading passer in the conference your school competes in. That would be a slam dunk to me. Also, you talk about what worked for your offense a season ago. Talia Tagovailoa and J.J. McCarthy are different kind of players. They bring different things to the table. But at a base level, I think what J.J. McCarthy had from a skill set standpoint, you don't sacrifice with Talia Tagovailoa. Most notably, like live arm, he can push the ball downfield, and he's a dual threat quarterback. He can still hurt you on those ad lib kind of plays. He can still break contain on a zone read and make you pay. You got to have some attention on him in that second and third level of the defense. Like, I think it would make a lot of sense. Like, I think he could do the jobs that JJ McCarthy did as the quarterback. So, for Talia, like, I think it's a no brainer for him as well. Go play in a pro style offense, put your best foot forward for NFL scouts, and drop the mic on your college career with a Big Ten championship and, heck, competing for a national championship. I think that would make a lot of sense for him and uh, would only help his evaluation having pro-style film and have some more wins for his resume. So if I had to predict the future, I would say it as a blanket statement like this. I think Jim Harbaugh leaves for the NFL. Sharon Moore becomes the next head coach. At the quarterback position, I think they're too stacked right now to not go to the portal and get a sure thing. Now, is that Talia Tagovailoa? That'd be my first choice. If it's not him, if for whatever reason he goes to the NFL or he doesn't get the waiver, I would look pretty closely at Will Rogers. So all that's to say, Portal QB, new head coach, same Michigan, roll, party, roll. 
The vibes are still high in Ann Arbor. And even with the change at quarterback, even with the change at head coach, potentially, I think Michigan will still be a force in the Big Ten and still be a force when it comes to that playoff picture. So let me know what y'all think. Let me know how you feel about this whole situation with uh, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. And honestly, it's, it's not surprising. Like, we all, we all knew this was coming. A little piece of hair on my sweatshirt there for those of y'all that are listening on podcast. Or I guess those of y'all that are watching live, that's probably more important. Um, we knew this was coming. It's not a surprise. Every year, whether they won the national title or not, we knew there was going to be some smoke around Jim Harbaugh and the NFL. But just the world that we're living in, curious to hear your thoughts. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you're subscribed. I know that gets annoying for y'all that are listening on podcasts. The reason why we plug that so much during the live show, uh, it helps the algorithm. So all that's to say, help the algorithm, help more people find this show. Uh, we appreciate you so much for that, man. Chunky season. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. And uh, it's a wild time to be alive in Tuscaloosa, Alabama right now. We talked about Kalen DeBoer and the staff he's putting together right now. He's also, right now, recruiting pretty heavily, obviously at the high school level. I'm sure he's going to make some recruitments via the portal. He's also trying to keep his guys on the roster right now from jumping into the portal. And a name that started to surface yesterday in terms of some smoke around the portal or some smoke around having no decision just yet on the transfer portal is a one Caleb Downs. Now, Caleb Downs, I wholeheartedly believe, is the best player on Alabama's roster. And I want to start with this disclaimer. Um, we would not be discussing the potential of Caleb Downs entering the portal if there wasn't a report on this right now, right? Like, usually we don't speculate. Usually we don't do the whole thing of, oh, well, they might jump in the portal now because their head coach changed. Like, we just wait for a name to pop up or for a name to pop up on a Hayes Fawcett graphic of announced his intentions to or will enter or has entered or whatever. But Tom Van Heron from ESPN put out a tweet that says that Caleb Downs is currently uh, undecided or hasn't made a decision on his future yet if he'll stay or transfer. The tweet also says he'd like to see who's added to Alabama's defensive staff, but very likely could make a decision either way by Tuesday. Traveris Robinson staying at Georgia factors into that equation. Okay, so that's why we're talking about this. The reason why we got some conversation around this now is because there's a report. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on right here. Transfer portal, college football, it's junkie season. Want y'all dialed in, so appreciate y'all in advance for that. So the tweet said he'd like to see who's added to Alabama staff. That's the report. Kane Womack is going to be the next DC at Alabama. So now your eyes go to Caleb Downs and see what he's doing. So we're watching the socials pretty closely there for any you know decision that we could get or, or may get uh the fact that Traveris robinson factors into this thing i think is interesting um because the finalists for caleb downs out of high school were alabama georgia ohio state i still remember like it was yesterday being at the ohio state michigan game and caleb downs popping up for a surprise visit in columbus when he was in high school and that obviously made waves in columbus they were excited about that but let's kind of reset this whole conversation around caleb downs and the portal there's going to be some people that see that report and say, well, why? Why are we even talking about this? Caleb Downs has a spot locked up at Alabama. Alabama has a tremendous history of putting guys in the league. Nick Saban's still going to be in the you know, stadium right across the way. Like He still has access to the GOAT. Like Why would you leave? The reason why, the reason why there's some layers to this is, yes, players commit to a logo, and yes, players commit to 
you know, the, uh, the development of a staff and all that. But I would say more specifically, people commit to people. Caleb Downs out of high school committed to Nick Saban and Traveris Robinson was a very big part of his recruitment. For those of y'all that don't know, we'll reset this again. Traveris Robinson was a, a co-DC at Alabama, uh, or rather worked at Alabama and um, worked with the safeties. And he took a job as the co-DC at Georgia. Okay, Alabama tried to bring him back. It sounded like there was an offer on the table for him to be the DC. Ended up saying, you know what? I appreciate y'all. I'm going to stay at Georgia. So to put that simply like, Traveris Robinson, that was Caleb Downs' guy. So the fact that Nick Saban's not there anymore, Traveris Robinson isn't there anymore, the situation that Caleb Downs committed to out of high school that got him to Alabama, that's changed. So with that being the case, we'll see what he does. I don't want to speculate too specifically here. But if he were to leave, there's multiple levels of impact here. And the first level is pretty obvious. Dude's a ball player, right? I said at the top of this segment, I think he's the best player on Alabama's roster. I don't care about his age. I think he was the best player on Alabama's roster a season ago. That's how talented he is. Real deal special. I mean, for Nick Saban to mention him in a sit-down interview with Reese Davis as one of the players that's made it tough for him to retire, a player that was tough for him to tell that he was retiring, like, y'all, that means something. The GOAT's been around a lot of players. And for him to put a true freshman in his secondary, the, the, the position group that is Nick Saban's baby, that means something. That, that should hold some weight. So one dude's a ball player. Other level of impact here, Caleb Downs, to me, from the outside looking in, is one of those guys that sets the temperature of a room. And we all, we've all been around people like this. There's some people that walk into a room and they are the thermostat. Like, Caleb Downs is a course-setting kind of player. So if he were to leave, I think it would just provide a lot of uneasiness internally. Now, again, I'm speculating here, but I think that's the impact it would have. At the very least, you're asking, well, why is Alabama's best player transferring out? Does he not, he not trust the direction of the program? Does, does he not feel good about his development? Like, a bunch of other questions arise. And I'm not here to say those are fair or unfair, but that's, I think, the potential ripple effect. And so whether you're on that roster or whether you're on that staff or whether you're a fan, it kind of perks your antenna up a little bit and say, okay, a guy who does everything right, a guy who Nick Saban said was difficult for him to tell he was retiring to, a guy who's held in this really high regard is leaving Alabama. What does that say about the direction of this thing? Now, I'm not telling you it does or doesn't. I'm just saying that's the ripple effect and the narrative that would start to exist. Now, if he stays, I think it works both ways. Say, okay, hey, we got some change here, but Caleb Downs, a dude who has everything at stake, a dude who's probably going to be a first-round draft pick when it's his time to declare for the NFL. Like, he's staying. He's down with Kalen DeBoer. All right. Good enough for Caleb. It's good enough for us. I don't know if it's that black and white, but you hear the sentiment I'm saying here. He's a guy that also, as much as him leaving would provide some uneasiness, I think him staying could provide some stability. So I think it works both ways. But uh, if he did enter the transfer portal, if he did leave, the obvious conversation we have to have here is where would he go? And the fact that Traveris Robinson is cited in that report from Tom Van Heron of ESPN probably means something. A guy who's at Georgia right now, a guy who would be Caleb Downs' position coach should he go to Georgia. Caleb Downs from the state of Georgia. Like, there's a lot of smoke around Georgia. Ohio State was also, again, a hat that was on the table for Caleb Downs, metaphorically speaking, when it came to his decision if he went to Georgia, the obvious gut punch would be there because you already lost Traveris Robinson to the dogs. If you lost Caleb Downs to Georgia, 
the team that's your rival at the top of the SEC, a team that you beat for the SEC championship last year, that'd be the obvious gut punch. And the thing with this too is like the, the margins are so razor thin at the top of the SEC. Losing your best player would chip away at those margins. So I'm not here to tell you that Caleb Downs, if he did leave Alabama, Alabama would go into a tailspin and, and wouldn't repeat it as SEC champs. I'm not saying that, but I think there is some pretty solid impact and something very real to watch here by nature of this report as to Caleb Downs and his future. So again, we would not talk about this if there wasn't a concrete report out there, full disclaimer, but uh, we're excited to see what happens and we're, we're very, very heavily on Caleb Downwatch here. And uh, we'll let you know as soon as we get something concrete and we'll have a reaction for you. Uh, in a very orderly fashion. So appreciate y'all being locked in. Alrighty. Good crowd. It's junkie season. On and popping, man. We love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. We're making sure we don't get anything breaking that we need to cover here on this show as we uh, as we keep on rolling. Uh, with that said, let, let's keep on rolling here. and Let's get to some of y'all questions. Uh, instead of we're checking the, the Twitter sphere, uh, that is not unique to our show. We don't check the Twitter, the Twitter sphere every once in a blue moon. Like it's a pretty much an everyday thing for us. And as we move into this, uh, this period of the college football calendar, this is a fun part for us to go and hear from y'all a little bit more frequently. So follow me on Twitter at JD Pacal. I'm going to put a tweet out at least once a week, maybe more often than that saying, hit me with your college football questions. What do y'all want us to talk about on the show? And we got a great one from my guy, Texas Boogie. And he asks, is Steve Sarkeesian building a consistent powerhouse in Austin, Texas? It's a great question. And it's a great handle. Texas Boogie, I like that. Uh, listen, to put it simply, it sure is trending that way. If I'm a Texas fan, I feel real good about the direction of what's going on in that 40 acres, that program that's being built on the 40 acres. You just locked down Steve Sarkeesian. You fought off Alabama to keep him on the 40. And the year that you just had was kind of the culmination of his three-year run so far. You had the five and seven year, get the bad out, get the good in. You had the eight and four year. Ah, okay, let's find a way to build on this. We're kind of in that middle tier. We're still not doing things totally the right way. We got good talent, but we haven't really capitalized on it. And then you win the Big 12, and then you make the college football playoff. It's kind of crescendoing right now. And the way that Steve Sarkeesian has done this too, the way that he's built up Texas, he has done it myth-busting. What do we mean by that? Think about all the myths that Steve Sarkeesian has had to tear down since he's been the head coach at Texas. Well, Texas, their culture sucks. You just, you see it, they give up in the second half. Texas withstood every single circumstance you could imagine this season. They're the underdog. Going to Tuscaloosa, you win that game. You lose a game to Oklahoma. How do they respond to defeat? Win the rest of their games. Lose your starting quarterback. Can you find a way to win games in multiple kind of fashions? End up winning out the rest of their schedule with Malik Murphy, who should get a Big 12 title ring, just so we're all on the same page here. Keeps good things going. When, uh, you know, find their way into the college football playoff. Myth busted. Culture's just fine. Texas isn't tough. Not a physical outfit. Yeah, they recruit some top prospects now and then but like they don't have the big boys up front to compete in the sec texas this past season top five rush defense and then as an offense they ran for almost 200 yards a game texas is tough box checked texas can't develop this was a good one that people like to throw around and you may still hear this a little bit but just know that's malarkey tavondre sweat was a three-star recruit he's set to be a pretty high nfl draft pick xavier worthy came in highly touted he's leaving highly touted developed just fine adam Mitchell. Coming over from Georgia, 
He was good at Georgia. He completely elevated his play when he got to Texas. Texas can't develop. Narrative, myth, busted. So all that's to say now, like there is some real proof of concept and some real momentum for Texas on the field and also on the talent acquisition side of things. The proof of concept is there for portal success from Adonai Mitchell. Heck, Quinn Ewers, if you want to talk about it that way. Also on the recruiting trail, Texas is on the cusp of back-to-back top three classes. So that talent funnel continuing to head Texas's way. Now, the real test here for consistency for Texas is going to be twofold. One, what does Arch Manning bring to the table after Quinn Ewers leaves? Two, the inevitable life cycle in college football on your staff is when you have success, people want to go and get your coordinators, your position coaches, and bring them to their school. They want to bottle up your success and bring it to their school. We already saw it this past offseason. Bo Davis, they got him from Texas, took him to LSU, good for Bo Davis. That was a guy who was integral in building that solid culture at Texas. So how do they reload that staff? Now, going back to what I just said about the quarterback position, I think Texas is going to continue to have weapons. Jontae Cook is going to be another year older. He'll be a sophomore. Um, You imagine that Isaiah Bond will contribute in a big way this upcoming year. But you look at the quarterback position. When, When Steve Sarkeesian has his quarterback and has weapons to go with it, which, again, we're assuming he will have weapons, he really starts to cook. That offense really starts to snowball. So the consistency of Arch Manning and the retooling of the staff how that works, how that progresses after this season, that's going to be the true mark of consistency. Because if Texas wins nine games this year, there'll be a lot of punchline culture. A lot of people saying, oh, well, they fell off. No, maybe they just went to the SEC and they had some close battles that didn't break their way. I'm not panicking if I'm a Texas fan if Texas goes 9-3 and three next year and doesn't win the SEC or make the college football playoff. What Steve Sarkeesian has there is built to last, and I think is trending towards being a consistent powerhouse. So the answer to your question there, Texas Boogie, is he building one? Sure looks that way. Now, another question we got here was from our guy, Vol for Life 42 I'm telling you, man, the handles from y'all just keep on crushing. He says, are we about to see more teams get called out for tampering? Now, I'm assuming we're getting this question because it was well-documented. Alex Atkins, offensive coordinator at Florida State, to put it broadly, broke the rules when it comes to the NIL world and denied it and got in trouble for it. Got hit with a three-game suspension. Now, my answer to this emphatically is no. We are not going to see more tampering get called out. And the reason why is because tampering right now, we all understand this, it's rampant. Tampering is probably going on as we're having this live show, as you're listening to this podcast, driving to and from picking up the kids. Tampering is happening consistently currently happening but the only people that can call it out are those that are closely involved like it's so back channel-y that it's untraceable to a degree like it's a lot of your word against mine kind of conversation that would have to be had so to call it out you would need people that are closely involved to say hey over here they're tampering the reason why we're not going to see that happen is the same reason why a bank robber doesn't call the cops when his getaway car gets stolen. We're all guilty. (laughs) We're all guilty to some extent here. So when it comes to tampering, yes, it's existing. Yes, it's probably going to keep existing until something drastic happens on the consequent side of things. Like, think about it this way. Everyone copies the homework. We all know that. 
Everyone's guilty of copying the homework. But when does copying the homework start to dial back a little bit? When someone gets expelled. When someone gets expelled, nobody's copying the math homework anymore. Everyone's kind of doing it their own way, and maybe you're taking a zero on the assignment. I don't know. But I think we'll have to see something much more rigid and something much more harsh be levied on a school or a coach or whatever. Like, we're going to have to see the equivalent of getting expelled for copying the math homework happen for that to really dial back. Because, again, I don't think we're going to see this self-reporting happening and saying, hey, they were tampering, because then you'll have the NCAA say, well, what were you doing? Or maybe it's not the NCAA. Maybe it's some powers that be. I don't know what this looks like in the future of college football. But to answer your question, will we see more tampering be called out? I do not believe so. I do not believe so, but that's kind of the world we're living in. Now, last question from, uh, from my guy, Luke Langdon. Luke Langdon, friend of the show, was actually a quarterback for me in high school. Um, we're in the triple option. Did not pitch it nearly enough. Luke, if you're watching, still wish you had pitched that football, brother. But regardless, um, Luke asks, what do you make of the Jed Fish move to Washington? Arizona bringing back a loaded roster. How do we feel about this? Luke, uh, there's a couple of things I have on this. First, if you're Washington, great hire. Great hire. Jed Fish, what he did last year at Arizona, I think was nothing short of phenomenal. Arizona preseason had a win total of five and a half. They finished with 10 wins, including that bull win over Oklahoma. I mean, he created a sense of belief. He created a culture at Arizona that was able to win a lot of football games, all right? To, to use everyone's favorite term, he did more with less. But the reason why I think this move was made by Jed Fish is the job at Arizona and the job at Washington maybe used to be somewhat of a lateral move with Washington moving to the Big Ten. Washington, as much as folks in Tucson won't like to hear this, uh, it is the better job. It is a better job, and I think it is the sign of the times here with the conference realignment and the tectonic plate shifting within college football. Washington and Arizona, we talk about the haves and have-nots. Arizona is still a have in a lot of ways. So they're going to be in a power conference in the Big 12. They'll have an automatic bid to the college football playoff. But Washington is just going to be a have more in the Big 10. Like more resources. They're going to have more money funneling their way. And you look at where you are right now in the college football landscape, if you're Jed Fish, it has never been easier to utilize the portal and bring some of those players from Arizona with you. Like, I mean, we, we just talked about, you know, the transfer portal and stuff like that with Alabama and what they may or may not lose. Like, talking about Arizona, they now have a 30-day window as of Jed Fish taking that job at Washington to enter into the portal. If that roster was loaded at Arizona... Any of those guys that want to follow them to Washington, they are well within their right to do that. And oh, by the way, NIL is a factor now too, so you can help facilitate that in some ways as well. In some way, shape, or form by, by equipping your roster. I stutter there because the, uh, the rules around NIL with the pay-for-play and inducement and all that, there's some, you know, some rules involved there, but the bottom line is NIL can support your building your roster with the portal. Is that fair to say? All right, so Jed Fish, love the hire, great move. Him taking the Washington job, leaving an Arizona situation that could be built to win next year as well. It's unfortunate, but sign of the times. Sign of the times in the world that we love, the sport that we love, that is the college football landscape. So, again, make sure you get at me on my Twitter page, at J.D. Pacquel. We have, I think, somewhere north of 20 responses, 20 questions to that tweet. If you want to go find that tweet on my Twitter page, um, I'll retweet it at some point later today so y'all can go find that and we can – have some more conversations, just you and I, people of the program, on our live show. 
Also, we have a live chat here, so we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. Now, the transfer portal continues to churn. It feels like the transfer portal may never close with all of these 30-day windows opening up for these guys that are losing their head coaches. But I want us to sort of take a look in the rear view a little bit and talk about the most impactful transfer portal ads. Not the splashiest, not the biggest names, though there may be some big names on this list. What are the most impactful transfer portal ads to this point in the transfer portal cycle? The first one you got to look at, and this one broke over the weekend, Cam Ward. Is he going to transfer to Florida State? Is it Miami? Nope, going to the NFL. And then he pulls out the ultimate reverse Uno card on us and says, you know what, NFL psych, I'm going back to Miami. And I was at dinner with my wife when this broke. Checked the phone in the bathroom. Oh my gosh, what's going on? Okay, Cam Ward's going to Miami. Let's talk about this on the show on Tuesday. So Cam Ward, the reason why this is so impactful, I look at what Miami was a season ago and what they're going to be next season. There's a lot of talent on this roster. To put it much more specifically, uh, there's a lot of young talent on this roster. Francis Malagoa is a grown man. It was like a train on the tracks. You want to get out of the way when he's pulling or when he's coming downhill at you on the screen, whatever it ended up being. Uh, Ruben Bain, also a grown man as a true freshman. He's going to be a force next year. They had a top 10 class in 2023 that's going to cycle up. Miami went 7-5 and five last year. Now, I put a little asterisk next to that because 7-5 and five really would have, should have, could have. I hate this if you're in, if you're in Coral Gables. Uh, would have, should have, could have been 8-4 and four if you would just take a knee. But still, they were 7-5. and five. And uh, that's an improvement, obviously, by two wins from 5-7 and seven the year before. And you had a quarterback who turned it over a fair amount. Now, I understand Cam Ward had some fumbling issues at Washington State. I want to focus on what he was as a passer. Because in 150 more pass attempts, he threw five less interceptions than Tyler Van Dyke did. Okay, that's not to throw shade at Tyler Van Dyke. I think it should just point to what Cam Ward could be for you. He fits in the system, I think, a little bit more than what they had on their roster last season. Cam Ward is an air raid kind of guy. I think Shannon Dawson, in spite of what we saw last year, wants to be a little bit more air raid. You now have the tool as a quarterback to open it up a little bit more, kind of unlock more of the offense. Also, Cam Ward brings that mobile element. I would expect there will be a fair amount of ball security drills done in Coral Gables for my man Cam Ward, but even with that being said, I think the days are long gone of you having a statuette quarterback and being successful. He had eight rushing touchdowns last year at Washington State. I think that's a crucial, crucial ad for Miami. And the reason why I think it's the most impactful is because you look at the ACC, I just have a lot of question marks. Like Florida State, they were phenomenal last year. They were phenomenal because they had the number one recruiting production in the country. They will not have those freak shows on the outside and Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman and, and Jaheim Bell. And I'm not saying Florida State won't still be tremendous and won't win the ACC again. I'm just saying I don't know what it's going to be just yet. Clemson, I don't know what to expect this upcoming season. I got my reservations on Kate Club. I got my reservations on those skilled players in, uh, in Clemson, South Carolina, how Dabo's doing things. So the point I'm trying to make here is I think the ACC is pretty wide open. And with a team that's trending the way Miami's trending, Cam Ward could be that difference maker to get you over the top to win the ACC. We're talking about conference titles here in January, so put as much weight on that as you want to, but that's how we feel about the Cam Ward acquisition. Now, another big uh, acquisition via the portal is twofold at Ohio State. How about the Buckeyes running it up and getting not just Will Howard from the portal, 
via Kansas State, but also adding Quinshawn Judkins from Ole Miss, a dude who averaged right around seven, eight yards a carry during his career at Ole Miss in the SEC, two seasons. True freshman, true sophomore, dude is a dog. To me, this is Ryan Day applying the pressure. Because listen, man, at Ohio State, most places, and we talk about this a lot here, they would, they would kill. They would do some unspeakable things to have the record that Ohio State has year in and year out. Now, the folks at Ohio State, you go 11-1, and one, you lose to Michigan, it's a bad season. Is it fair? No. Is it reality? Absolutely. So this is Ryan Day continuing to revamp it and say, okay, we, we weren't good enough at quarterback last year. Look at the duration of their season. Travion Henderson's coming back. You add another back like Quinshawn Judkins, we're going to be deeper at running back. We're not going to have those issues where we get thin at the running back position. So the way that they are adding armor to the car in Columbus, I'm excited to watch it because I think that could end up being a massive, massive add for Ohio State. Uh, one more thought on this. The same thing I said about Cam Ward is true about Will Howard. Brings a mobile element to the offense. Ohio State hasn't had a quarterback that can hurt you with his legs really since Justin Fields. They've missed that their last couple of games against Ohio, uh, against Michigan. rather. Um, will Howard will bring that to the table. J.J. McCarthy for Michigan the last couple of seasons, running around back there, playing Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, rolling left, throwing right, and throwing for a first down. Ohio State will now have somebody to match that if they need it going forward. So I think that's a big deal. Isaiah Bond transferring from Alabama to Texas. Is it the splashiest acquisition of the transfer portal? Uh, probably depends on who you ask. To me, this really gives me the vibes that we got when Adonai Mitchell transferred from Georgia to Texas last season. It's no secret, when Sark has his weapons, he gets cooking. There's going to be a lot of production to replace with Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell both going to the league after this season. Isaiah Bond could be that dude that steps up. He flashed several times at Alabama. I don't think we really got to see him cut it loose this past year with what Jalen Milrow maybe was limited doing consistently throwing the football. With Quinn Ewers, Isaiah Bond, that's going to be a really good fit. I like the way he fits in that offense. Real deep threat for you, real speed. Very, very big acquisition in terms of Steve Sarkeesian having his weapons and being able to continue on what he did last year. I tweeted this out and said, when Steve Sarkeesian has his weapons, it's scary hours. And a lot of, pe a lot of people kind of got my mentions and said, well, he had his weapons this past year. They didn't win the national championship. No, but they won the Big 12 and they made the college football playoff. And they were an Adonai Mitchell acrobatic catch away from playing for a national title. So I think the point stands. When he's got dudes on the perimeter, Texas is in a good spot. So Isaiah Bond adding to the dude factor on the perimeter in Austin. Now, how about uh, Oregon? And this was probably a little bit more splashy. How about Oregon securing not just their quarterback for the present in Dylan Gabriel or left-handed Bo Nix, as I like to call him, going to Eugene, but securing their quarterback for the future in the Big Ten. Dante Moore from UCLA said, you know what? Yeah, I was a five-star cat out of high school. I'm cool to sit for a year. I want to learn from Dylan Gabriel. Man, such a mature move by the guy. That's massive. Because in this Will Stein offense, we've seen, man, if you got a quarterback, you got more than a chance. You got someone to run this operation, you will slice and dice your way to a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns. So having the depth there at quarterback, to continue this year and beyond in the Big Ten Conference, that was massive for Dan Lanning. Speaks volumes about the resources at Oregon yet again, landing not one but two portal quarterbacks that were, at the time of us being uh, 
live or at the time of them committing rather were two of the top three portal quarterbacks available massive for Dan Lanning massive for Oregon I think those were we, we could look back and say that was kind of the tone setter for Oregon that was when everything switched up for them in terms of continually being a powerhouse among other things in Eugene um we talked about this a lot as well but I want to make sure we we revisit this Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin are doing Lane Kiffin things in the transfer portal Ole Miss is looking to match the price of admission in the SEC. Because we see this now. Georgia, Bama. How were they in the SEC championship a year ago? Because of how they play on the line of scrimmage. In some small part. In some large part, rather, because of how they play it on the line of scrimmage. Ole Miss, you're always going to have some offensive output with Lane Kiffin running the show for you. Jackson Dart, tremendous. He's coming back for another year. We'll talk more about him probably on tomorrow's show. But what they have in the trenches... Now, by way of the portal, with Prince Leuman Mielin, with Walter Nolan from AM, from Tyler Barron from Tennessee, dudes who have played real meaningful football in this conference and going to level up in that trenches, like that's going to make them really scary. Because now I think if you're Ole Miss, the offense was always going to keep you in it or was always your thought that it would keep you in it. But now you can play different styles of games, in theory at least. On paper, you have the guys to try and hold a run game at bay. You don't have to play the game where you just score 40 and make them catch you. You would still like to do that, but if you can make a team one-dimensional offensively, and Ole Miss is looking to do that now with how they stacked up the trenches on the defensive line, like Ole Miss is going to be scary. So I cannot wait to watch that take the field next year. It's one thing to do it on paper, another thing to do it on the grass, but the dudes they got through the portal that I just mentioned, absolutely massive in Oxford, Mississippi. So the way they upped the price of admission, or where they matched the price of admission now to win in the SEC, you got to have the big boys. Ole Miss now has the big boys. They gave up four yards of carry last year. I would be surprised if they gave up close to that number this upcoming season. Expect them more in that three yards of carry range. So, a lot of big moves being made in the portal. We will update that impactful portal list uh, as we move further and further into portal season. I've been waiting to do a transfer portal winners and losers segment. But the unfortunate reality is we've just had so much churn still within the portal that I don't know that we can necessarily nail down a total list there. It might be more just portal winners. I don't know if there's a ton of losers just yet via the portal, but we'll uh, revisit that when we get there. Make sure you're subscribed. Hey, if you're listening on podcast, we love y'all. Leave us a review. Leave us a little comment and a rate as well. We appreciate you for that. Uh, Let us know some segments that you want baked into the show, whether it's replying to me on Twitter whether it's in the comments section, whether it's in the live chat, let us know some segments that you want. Because like I said, this is junkie season. Everyone else that was just kind of passing by that would check in to see who we picked in games, they're, they're gone. This is just us now. This is the college football lifers about it here. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Set your clocks. Tell a friend. Get them dialed in here. And uh, we'll talk ball as we always do. Now, the best part of this show, talking ball with y'all, talking ball with Gosh, if you're if you're watching on if you're listening on podcast rather, you're, you're missing out. Best looking producer on both sides of the Mississippi. Wearing a sick sweater today, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, brother? Fresh off of Bill's Dub, Victory Tuesday for you, huh? Yeah, what's up, pal? How are you doing? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You're looking um, good. I appreciate it. Likewise, um, I had a question. Yeah, what's up, man? Um, well, it's not for me. But, oh man. Uh, Bryce was saying, JD, can you see Georgia pulling Ryan Williams and Caleb Downs? Ooh, that's tricky. The Ryan Williams thing, I will leave for Josh Newberg because Josh Newberg has uh, a tremendous show, The Inside Scoop, on the On3 Recruits YouTube channel. So check that out if you haven't already. Uh, he'll have all the intel for Ryan Williams for you. Caleb Downs, man, again, I, 
I feel kind of gross even speculating because he's not in the portal yet. The reason why we're talking about it is because there's that report out there that he's undecided. But the fact that you're mentioning a guy who went to Georgia as factoring into your decision, if he hits the portal, I really think it's Georgia. I really do. So again, we'll see if he does. I don't know if he will or not, but that would that would surprise me if he enters the portal and doesn't go to Georgia. Like I really, I really think that's probably the case uh, if I'm a if I'm a Georgia fan. So we'll keep an eye on it. Again, we don't know anything. We're just going off the report. We're just speculating off of that that one report, and uh, we'll get some more news hopefully um, in the not too distant future. Uh, JD, this is a, a an opinion or a hot take or a prediction. You I like say it. Any of those from Brad Smith, 2024 slash 2025 national champions. Ohio State, what do you think? Wow. You what know, I don't happen? hate that. I don't hate I, that It's not at a bad all. pick. I don't hate that at all. The way that they have leveled up also looks like they're closing in or, or zeroing in, as the folks on Twitter say, as Pete Dammel says, zeroing in on uh, Ross Bjork to be the next AD from A&M and maybe at Ohio State. So we'll see what happens there. I really think, though, man, like if there's a year to do it, Michigan loses their quarterback. Michigan loses Blake Corum. Michigan may potentially lose their head coach. Like, and Michigan's still going to be a force. But Penn State, they seem to have trouble putting it together. If you're Ohio State, you beat them last year and the year before that. Like, this would be the year where it's set up by nature of what you got through the portal as well with Will Howard and Quinshawn Judkins. This has to be the year. This has to be the year. And so for Ryan Day, back against the wall kind of feel to it. Um, and that's, that's scary. We've seen it, man. Like, when Ohio State's up against it, short of the Michigan game, they have been tremendous. We were at the Penn State game, and they battled. They revamped their entire defense, it felt like, from an attitude standpoint. They got better in the Jim Knowles defense from last year to this year. So the guys coming back, too, JT Tui Malowow, Jack Sawyer. Like, I just I could go on and on. Travion Henderson on the, on the offensive side of the ball, running the ball. So I think that's a great pick. I'm curious to see where they're at from an odds point of view in Vegas when we get to like July, because I think they'll be up there. I think they'll be in that top three. But yeah, that's a great pick. I don't hate it at all. Don't hate it at all. JD, uh, talking more future um, predictions, the truth wants your prediction for a, co- a potential dark horse CFB coach of the year uh, next year. What do you think, JD? Ooh. You have to call your shot. Yeah, I like the CFB coach of the year. I mean, heck, if we go off of what we just said a second ago, it could be Ryan Day. If they win the Big Ten and they get over the hump and they, and they end up making the, uh, the college football playoff, obviously, as a Big Ten champ, it's going to be weird because they're going to be in the 12-team in the playoff. So that might hold some, hold some different kind of weight. Um, I would lean Ryan Day in that situation. Now, outside of that, I mean, I, I think if Miami takes a big step, I'd be, I'd be really intrigued to see Mario Cristobal in that conversation. If they're like the 10-win category, I could see him being it. Um, I, could see if, I could see Steve Sarkeesian if they have a great first year in the SEC like they did this past year, um, beating Alabama as they said deuces to the Big 12. So I'm kind of all over the map there, but my early hot board would be Ryan Day, Steve Sarkeesian, and I'll put Mario Cristobal as my ultimate dark horse. How's that? Sounds good. Uh, JD, this one's from, it's right under the truth question. It's from Landon. J.D., how do you feel about the new hire for Alabama's defensive coordinator coming from a South Alabama student? I like it. Well, hey, shouts out to the Jags, man. Yeah. Appreciate y'all being dialed in. USA, USA, USA. Um, we talked about it a little bit on the show. I think it's exactly what the doctor ordered if you're Kalen DeBoer. You don't have any Southeast ties, so you go and add that via your D.C. 
It sounds like his recruiting connections was a big factor in adding him in. From a schematic standpoint, he runs the 4-2-5 defense, which not to get too technical, but that's in theory four down linemen, which down linemen we put in quotation marks. I don't think you'll see four hands in the dirt all the time. Two linebackers, five DBs. That five DBs part is important. You'll have some big safeties on the field, I anticipate, kind of that hybrid that's going to come fill in the box a little bit and play some some you know rolled down safety, almost a linebacker for you. But the bottom line is you're going to have speed on the field. Not super unlike what Kevin Steele tried to do, having a lot of speed on the field, but that's going to try and match up with the modern offenses. So as of right now, I like it. I really like it. Is it the splashiest hire? Is it you know the biggest name you could have landed? No, but I think it's what the doctor ordered. And it's a guy you trust, someone you know you work well with, someone that you know is on the same page as you and is going to help you build Alabama the way that you want to build it. So I like it. I'm a, I'm a fan of it. Um, JD, this is an interesting question. Let me get myself back no, you're on good. the screen. I love it. Um, it's coming from Geraldo. Is there a problem with Florida State when it comes to high, schools, high schoolers recruiting uh, because they are the, the transfer portal king? Do you think yeah. that impacts it at all? That's a great question. So right now, at the time of us being live, Florida State has the number 11 class in the 2024 on three industry team recruiting rankings. So they're sitting right on the doorstep of a top 10 class. I don't have any issues with it. I think the way they use the portal is great. And the way they they had to use the portal the last couple of years was to offset what they didn't have on the roster. Mike Norvell is sitting there saying, okay, I inherited a house that's not in great condition. So instead of us going and buying, you know, a bunch of lumber to bring in here and, and carve out and make some floorboards for us to put together, I'm just going to go out to Home Depot, get some floorboards and put them down and make this thing work. So to me, it's the equivalent of like going out to eat versus getting groceries. I think you go out to eat when you don't have groceries in the house. Mike Norvell has been going out to eat via the portal and adding some key guys to kind of make this thing work. But now he understands if we want to eat good for a long time, we got to have that cupboard stocked. And so that was always the plan, I believe, was to get the roster in a good place, have something on the field, proof of concept, and be able to use that as a recruiting tool. And uh, I think Florida State, another year winning the state, being the big dog in the state, we know how talent-rich that Sunshine State is. If you can keep some of those top guys in Tallahassee, like that would be massive. And I think we'll see Florida State be uh, pretty routinely in the top 10 if they do that again this upcoming season and be able to you know, kind of capitalize on the, the juice they've had these last couple of years. So I don't have a problem with it. I'm not concerned, and uh, I think they're, they're trending and doing the right things they need to do. J.D., a couple more questions. Got time for Jonathan <coughs> says, ask J.D. Love it. What Nebraska, what's Nebraska's ceiling this year with multiple proven transfers and a multiple number one player commit? This is, this is the part, Nick, where we got to make sure we don't take the bait. You know what I mean? Like the bait there is Dylan Riola stepping in there, you know, big time quarterback, big time arm, was going to Georgia. Now he's coming back home to his, his place where he's got family and he's got, you know, ties to his dad playing there. Like the script itself reads so cool for Dylan Riola if he does go out there and just go bonkers in Nebraska his first year. I think the reality is you probably still feel like if you're using reasonable expectations for a true freshman quarterback in one of the toughest conferences in college football, it's only getting tougher with the Big Ten next year. Um, I think I think you can make a bowl game. Like I think that should be what you aspire for. Get seven wins. Get six wins. If you can do that and get them back to a bowl game, if you're Dylan Raiola, like that. I mean, I think at that point they give you the key to the city. So 
That's not the ultimate goal, obviously, for Matt Rule. He wants to do much more than just win a bowl game in Lincoln, but getting there, I think, would be the next step. Let's focus on that. If we're Nebraska fans, let's be excited about Dylan Riola, but let's still understand, hey, dude's a true freshman. Never played college football before. It might take some time for him to get his feet underneath him and for Nebraska to be able to support him the right way on the offensive line and for those proven transfers um, overall to totally gel. So I'm excited about it, just like you are. I hope and pray we get out to Lincoln here sooner rather than later. And it, you know, we'll see what happens in the spring too. We'll keep an eye on what our schedule is there. But yeah, let's let's keep a let's keep a level head when it comes to the Riola buzz in Lincoln. We're here for it though. What do you say, Nick? Two more? Yeah, we'll do two more. Uh, Forrest Khan has been asking a lot of good Michigan questions. Everyone wants to talk about the next head coach of Michigan, even though Jim Harbaugh is not yet. Uh, out the door uh, is there really any other cho- choice uh, for for the head coaching job if he does leave other than Sharon Moore for you JD if you hire outside the staff you lose the national championship continuity and momentum I know I heard other people in the chat wanting uh, Jesse Minter obviously in-house and then John Lee <laughs> which I mean this is a, who knows says he, he'd like to see Brian Kelly uh, come to, uh, to Michigan so a lot of people giving their two cents JD what's yours I like that. So I've I've heard some buzz around the Brian Kelly stuff. And when I say heard some buzz, like not from people that are in the know. I'm hearing buzz when I just, you know, surf the Twitter sphere and see these conspiracies. So the Brian Kelly one is interesting. I don't know why he would leave LSU. I suppose, you know, Michigan and the brand that they are would be attractive to anybody, including a Brian Kelly. He's also a proven winner. I think he's as sure a thing as there is in this business when it comes to hiring your head coach. But if you're Brian Kelly, like you would take over a place or we've seen, or I'll, I'll rephrase this. I think you only bring in a Brian Kelly if you've got something that's broken and he needs to fix it because he's proven now. Well, he did at LSU taking them from a tough spot when he got them from the Ed Orgeron era to making them in his first year, the SEC West champions. Like he can, he can get you in line. Michigan's already in line. Like they, they don't need help with their culture or their structure. They've got all that in place. So I personally, like I said earlier in the show, I look no further than down the hall and hiring Sharon Moore in a matter of like a minute or 30 seconds. But the Brian Kelly one on paper, I I, I guess it makes sense. But to me, I, I don't think you look at outside and um, I would be I would be dumbfounded if we checked the Twitter sphere at some point in time and got an alert that said Brian Kelly's the next head coach at Michigan. That would That would shock me to no end. I do not think that will happen. Uh, Forrest Khan uh, mentioned Brian Kelly. I'd have to change accents uh, if he's going to go to Ann yeah. Arbor. Very excellent point. Um, <laughs> we got a couple questions we'll get to tomorrow. Uh, Mando asked about um, a surprise top 10 team. We'll, we'll talk that tomorrow. Mm. Um, the Truth, who asked earlier about your Dark Horse Coach of the Year. Uh, tomorrow we'll talk about the reverse of that question that Truth asked. Um, a shocking coach you think might be fired. I know we don't talk about Whoa, that much on the okay. show, but okay. maybe a coach that – um, we'll be in the hot seat next year, but we'll get to those tomorrow. We're going to ask Cotton's question today to end the show. How do you feel about Michigan and OSU possibly playing three times in 2024? Uh, regular season, Big Ten championship, obviously no more divisions, college football playoffs. Does that diminish the, quote, big game? See, I'm even – so for those of you listening on podcast, nothing's wrong with your uh, device. I'm just sitting back trying to wrap my mind around the potential that we could get three different Michigan versus Ohio State games. 
as a college football junkie, would make me a little bit sick. I'm not going to lie to y'all. That's a special game. Happens once a year. It happens at a uh, site that's either Columbus, Ohio, or, or Ann Arbor, Michigan. Both special venues to the college football world. We need to get to the big house. That is absolutely on the to-do list for us on this show. We have not yet. The shoe is college football pageantry at its best. Big Ten pageantry at its best. It is the archetype for one of the best venues in sports. Not just college sports, in sports. At the exact same time, I think it is what you make it. I don't think we have to say, well, then the game doesn't matter because they'll play again next week for the Big Ten Championship. I hear the logic behind that, and I'm right there with you. But to the same degree, you say, okay, well, that's still, like, the game, I think, stands alone. Like, the game that happens in the big house or in the shoe stands alone. That is bragging rights. But then you take it the next week, and it's like, well, hey, winning the Big Ten Championship is also on our to-do list. Wouldn't it be sweet to do it over your rival? Wouldn't it be sweet to do it after a loss and getting back at your rival? Heck, for, for a playoff game, wouldn't that be sweet? So I think the stakes going up is exciting, and there's a way to kind of make the best of that. It would kind of suck for it to know that we're going to get that same game the week after. If we're watching Michigan-Ohio State during, during the regular season, and know we're going to get it in Indy the next week. So it really is how you view it. But for us here on this show, we will honor the regular season as we always have, as we always do. That game, the rivalry game during the regular season, during rivalry weekend, will still be number one in our hearts and still be the one that we keep score by. And then we'll reframe and reset when it comes to the Big Ten title game and the college football playoff. But yeah, it's a, it's a sign of the times. Of the times, they are a-changing, as that old song is. Who sings the times are a-changing? Drake? Who's that? It's Drake. Frank no, Ocean? I actually couldn't. It's old. Bieber? <laughs> I could not tell you who sings that song. Um, it's been sang by so many people. So yeah. I'm very, I'm very obviously started. kidding here with yes. those, no. with those I, I references think, for those I in the, in the, the chat. I think the hopefully know that you don't think Drake uh, <laughs> His rendition would probably slap, though. You know, I don't really care. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stuff, hey, but, hey, we wandered into some uncharted territory there. Wanted to see how it felt. Tried on the shoes. Didn't fit, you know, but we, yeah. we yeah. tried. Absolutely. Nick, anything else you want to say before you jump off here, brother? I do not. Although I will say that, J.D., I don't think it would diminish it. Uh, given that some of the best rivalries in sports happen multiple times a year. Barcelona, Real Madrid, and soccer happens twice a year at least. Uh, Yankees and Red Sox, they play like 20 times a That's year. That's fair. That's fair. Here's, it, so I, I don't, I don't ha- pretend to know any... I didn't mean to cut you off there, Nick. I'm no, sorry. No, you say. No. Uh, describe, because I, 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 this is not a loaded question. Genuine question here. How does the vibe differ in the soccer rivalries week to week like also are they home and home like it's home and home okay like that's cool yeah but but then there's other tournaments that they might meet in like the champions league bob dylan by the way oh hey look at that i don't know how we didn't know that see change is gonna come sam cook that's one of the best that's a good one too yeah Uh, well done that's a great song sam cook would have been the goat had he survived as 24 tragically but um yeah uh yeah they play a lot of times sometimes but most of the time just twice Nick, I don't think you're in the minority there either. Like, I don't, I don't think that it'll be a sweeping across the board, 100% people saying, yep, got to be that one time and that's it. Like, I think yeah. we will have some people say, heck, yeah, I want to see them play five times if we get it. Like, yeah. Michigan-Ohio State's playing, the bottom line is we're probably all watching, mm-hmm. and it's probably going to be awesome. But the regular season part of it just, you know, you understand here, there's some of us that are just like, man, this is, 
This is sweet. This is special. We gotta hold yeah. on to it. But it'll still be good whenever they play. So that's, absolutely, that's the case too. Yep. Nick, I appreciate it, brother. The absolute yep. man. Hey, we got a, a little bit of ice outside, a little bit of snow outside. Nick said, no problem, no problem. Bring it on. Hard hat Tuesday, hard hat Wednesday, hard hat Thursday, every day of the week. My man's got the hard hat on, making it happen. People of the program, Nick Bray getting the show for you. Producing it, punching it live, reading the live chat. Heavy lifter, extraordinaire. We appreciate y'all being dialed in again. Extremely important this time of year to be subscribed and to be following me on Twitter. That's where we interact when we're not live on the air. But we are live on the air Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. So tomorrow morning, get back in here, get in the live chat. I'm sure there will be something that breaks here in the next... 24 hours before we get to chop it up again live and live in color but hey we appreciate y'all we love y'all we're gonna keep this party rolling as we always do and we will see y'all next time